In this episode, guest speaker Garrett Weir continues his five-part series on the subject of faith and the supremacy of Christ with Faith of the Ancients from Hebrews 11, 1 through 16. I'm Pastor Philip Jackson, and this is the Married Now What Podcast. We're going to be in Hebrews 10 first. Um, We're going to spend most of our time in Hebrews 11, but um, we're going to go ahead and talk about the just kind of the end of Hebrews 10 to begin with. Uh, So if you remember from last week, we started talking about faith in Hebrews. And part of that was uh, just remembering that Jesus is um, completely superior to any being that was made and also superior in the new covenant so his sacrifice was um, actually what gives us cleansing and it is something that we can have faith in that no matter what we're going to be forgiven of our sins and we can cling to that and trust in that and trust in what he tells us um, because we know that he is superior above anything else so what i want us to kind of start out with is kind of remembering why the author is actually writing to the Hebrews. Uh, So he's writing to the Hebrews about faith here, and he's spending a lot of time on faith because at this point in time, uh, these people were being very much persecuted. Uh, They were under very intense persecution. His goal was to, um, or is going to be, to point them to examples of great faiths in order to encourage them. Um, So they would have been very familiar with um, Hebrews 11, looking at uh, the also called the Hall of Faith. So we're going to be looking at different examples of faith um, in the Old Testament mostly. And as he goes through this, he's going to point out basically uh, that these were people who um, may have not uh, completely saw the promises of God. They may have been given glimpses of it, but they themselves never saw the completion of it. Some of them did see the promises come true, uh, as we'll see with Abraham and Sarah. Um, but some of them didn't even know very much about the promises at all. All they knew is that they wanted to please God, and so uh, they had faith that uh, what they were doing was going to be pleasing to him, and the Lord rewarded them for that. Uh, But when he's writing to these Hebrews, he's basically just giving them encouragement as they're being persecuted. So just to get kind of a glimpse of what's going on with them, uh, we're going to start out in Hebrews 10.33. Uh, So, actually, we'll start in 32. That'd be an easier place. So, he says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and saved. Uh, we can take from that passage a little bit about uh, what they were actually going through at this time. So these people were being insulted publicly, or they stood with those who were being insulted publicly. 
they were being highly persecuted. They were being thrown into prison because of their faith. Uh, they're also having their property taken and their possessions taken from them. So these people were uh, probably Jews. Maybe some of them might have been Gentiles that converted to Judaism. Um, but because of their faith in Christ, they were basically, uh, if they were to talk about this, this was blasphemy in the eyes of the Jews who um, trusted in the Old Covenant. And so to say that Jesus has taken away the sins, that he was the Messiah, um, that he was the Son of God, that was a big deal. Even Jesus talked about that. And they killed him for it. And so these people who are now professing that Christ is Lord, uh, they are being highly persecuted at this time. And they are starting to, some of them lose a little bit of faith because of how much persecution they're going through. And in Hebrews 11, that we're going to get into next, he talks about how uh, these people that he gives examples of, they were uh, also living as foreigners as they are. Uh, because these people, though they might have been Jews at one point, now they're foreign to the people that they were once very close with. Uh, they talk different. They have different sets of values. Culturally, they're different. And they stand out like a sore thumb. Just like if you were to go to a different country, uh, probably you're going to stand out a little bit, depending on what country you go to. Uh, the way that you talk, um, sometimes the way that you walk is different. Uh, the way that you dress, uh, the different mannerisms that you might have there's a lot of differences and they stand out and so these christians now following christ uh, they stood out a lot to the people who uh, are following the old covenant Uh, they don't do the same things they don't follow the same traditions that these people did and so they are easily singled out so in verses 35 through 39 he just tells them to persevere under that persecution to the end Um, knowing that they have promises from God that can be taken from them while they're here on earth. So for us, we may not be publicly persecuted for the most part, uh, but there are times in our lives when we are going to be singled out for our faith, and it can be hard for us to uh, actually just give a testimony because some people aren't going to like what we have to say. Uh, So we can be discouraged ourselves in our our work, uh, in our relationships, our family matters, or even just with the state of the world we're in. Uh, These are all things that can discourage us if we let them, but uh, we have to remember that we are light living in a dark world, so of course there's going to be some conflict with that. And we can take these examples ourselves and find hope and find faith in them as well. So be encouraged by some of these examples as we go through them, um, because the same things that you're going through, our forefathers went through at one point, and they had to have faith, and they found faith knowing that God was going to take care of them. All right, so we're going to start in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to read through, we're going to go through verse 19 today. Okay, so we'll start, or sorry, verse 16. So in 11, he says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness as in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All right, we're going to start in verse 1. And in verse 1, we have a, a pretty simple definition of faith. Okay, so he says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. So confidence... And what we hope for, we have to know what we actually hope for if we're going to have confidence in it, right? So there's two different types of, of hope that we can have. We can have hope in the immediate future. So um, think of right now and um, in just kind of our own lives right now. And then we have hope in the future. So that will be in, with God in heaven someday. Um, these, are, uh, these are hopes that we might not see in this life, but hopes that we can have um, as we pass on, or maybe in this life, depending on uh, what Christ decides. So for right now, we can uh, have confidence that we're cared for, that Christ actually sees our, our afflictions, that he sees what we're going through, uh, that he sees the pain, the, the suffering, the things that we go through in this life, that our prayers are heard, that we aren't just speaking to the air, that the things that we bring to God in prayer, he's actually hearing and he's actually caring about them and wanting to uh, take care of us. Just as a child goes crying to their mother or father, uh, he hears us and he wants to take care of us. Uh, that we're being sanctified. So we are growing more Christ-like day by day. Uh, that he is helping us grow to be people that are his own. That he is making us more like him every single day. And that he's not just leaving us, um, dropping us after uh, becoming Christians um, to try to figure out how to be holy in an unholy world. Uh, he's actually sanctifying us and making us better and more like him. Uh, we hope that we can't be separated from God, and we can have confidence in that, that nothing is going to tear us from God, that no matter how bad we might be or how uh, much junk that we go through, that uh, we aren't going to be separated from him, and that our sins are forgiven, that even though uh, we might have very dark past or we might have things that we aren't proud of from our past and sin, that we are forgiven of those things and that Christ's sacrifice was enough to take away those sins. In the future, uh, something that we hope for is that we will, we will be with God in heaven, that uh, as we pass from this life, that we will be with God and also that uh, we will see the completion of the promises that Christ has given us. Uh, so I want to read from Revelation 21 real quick. Uh, you can turn there if you want to, but uh, I just got right here, so it's pretty short. But 
In Revelation 21, uh, John is talking about uh, basically the completion of all things and the, the new heaven and new earth. And so in Revelation 21, this is something that we have to look forward to. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe, oh, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. All right, so we have a, a, a promise that eventually uh, pain and suffering are going to be no more, that we'll have a completeness with God, uh, that he will dwell with us, and we will dwell with him. And so that is something that we should have confidence in and hope for uh, as we uh, either as Christ comes back or as uh, we pass into the new life that we have. Okay, faith is also an assurance about what we do not see. Okay, that word assurance has the connotation of a foundation, not so much as, um, okay, this is a foundation I build things on. This is a foundation that isn't shaken. Okay, this is something that is sturdy, that's stable, uh, that isn't going to be easily moved. Uh, it's a, a support. So we can have assurance that uh, we, assurance about the things we don't see. So we have assurance that uh, even though we haven't seen Christ with our own eyes, uh, we have faith that he is the son of God and that his sacrifice on the cross paid the debt of our sins and that um, the, the testimony of those who are with him are true. Uh, we don't see how God is working for our good when it seems everything is crashing around us, but we can have assurance that uh, he is working for our good. We don't see how close the Lord is to returning for his children, but we have assurance that he is coming back for us. And we don't see that the Lord has his hands around us, but we do have this confidence and assurance and faith that each of these things is actually going to come true and that they are true things, uh, that we are truly cared for and that he's coming for us. The thing about faith is that it grows as it's tested. Uh, so the times that we chase after Christ and find comfort or the times that uh, we find answers to our problems, whatever they might be, uh, especially answers to prayer, or if we finally see the end of a hard season in life, uh, we actually grow deep in our confidence that we're not alone and we're deeply cared for by a Savior who doesn't leave us. Uh, something that I like to think about with, with testing our faith or growing in our faith. Um, so I used to be a runner back in the day, and... I was pretty good until I eventually ended up tearing my hamstring when I was in high school. So something that happens whenever you tear your hamstring is that if you're going to come back, uh, you can't just come back all 100% and everything's going to be dandy. Uh, you have to you find confidence coming back on that hurt muscle by testing it. Okay, you don't just go and you start long jumping again. Okay, you have to do small things first and you build up that confidence over time. And that happens with uh, our beliefs as well. So as we first become Christians, we might not have the most confidence or the most faith um, as some other people might. Um, you have to start out small. Okay, I can walk a little bit. Okay, I can stretch a little bit. Next thing is you hop on it a little bit. Okay, I've got a little bit more confidence now because I can um, have faith that if I do this, it's not going to tear again. Um, because when you go through some kind of trauma like that, there's always that thing in the back of your mind that's like, uh, do I really want to go through that again? 
because if you do, it's you know what how much pain you'll go through if you do. And so you start to work up and you become more and more confident as you go. And the more that you test it, the more that you find, okay, I know that if I do this, nothing bad is going to happen. Uh, if I do this, I know that my, my muscle is going to hold up. And we do the same thing with Christ. When we, give, when we have faith that he's going to do something, um, even the smallest faith, uh, we build up that faith over time. Okay, I'm going to trust him with um, that I'm going to uh, just be able to talk to somebody about Christ. Um, and so he builds up that little bit of faith for us. Okay, I'm going to trust him with my finances. Okay, and we start to build up that faith because he's going to take care of us because he says that he will. Okay, I'm going to have faith that he's going to take care of my family. And you start to grow and grow and grow this faith and this confidence in who Christ is. And we do that by testing it. And we'll actually talk about how uh, God actually tests our faith himself in order to help us grow. Um, but that will be later. Okay, so in verses 2 and 3, he talks about uh, how we can have confidence and assurance from the start of time. Uh, so the elders of our faith, uh, it says that uh, by faith we understand that the universe, oh, sorry, uh, this is what the ancients were commended for, that faith. And by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right, so from the very beginning of time, we can see that uh, our forefathers, they were commended for their faith, not so much uh, the things that they did. So this doesn't have anything to do with how special they were or how great they were. It says that they were commended because they had faith. Uh, they had that confidence and assurance that, uh, that if they trusted God, that he was going to take care of them. Uh, and we can also have faith by understanding that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, so I could go into all of the details about uh, how the creation started, how um, you go from nothing to something. Okay, I can go the whole science route of, okay, matter's either created or, or destroyed. It's only changed somehow, so you can't just get matter from matter. Okay, that matter came from nothing. Um, and that's one of the things where... I don't know why some pastors are so scared of, like, the Big Bang Theory. Like, really, it kind of lines up with what actually happened or what the Bible says. Uh, so that always blows my mind. I'm like, I think you need to read back on that a little bit because, to me, it's, it's kind of an assurance. It's something that the Lord has said, and it's backed by what we can see. But this is something that we are never going to be able to see. We can't go back in time and actually know for sure how it happened, but we can have faith that God has said this is how it happened. And so that invisible thing that we can't see, um, that thing is made visible to us by faith. Um, so that is a, a thing that we do not see, but we believe that God has created just as he said he did. All right, so let's look at uh, just having the faith of a sincere heart uh, that some of our, our forefathers did. So in verse 4, it says that by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was committed as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Alright, so flip over to Genesis 4, 1 through 16 real quick. We'll look at Abel. Four one through sixteen. 
All right, so let's just read a little bit about Cain and Abel. Uh, so it says that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now now Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's let's go out to the field." While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, "Where is your brother Abel?" He said, "I don't know." He replied, "Am my brother am I my brother's keeper?" The Lord said, "What have you done? Listen, your brother's your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground." Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will lo- no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. We're going to stop right there. So with Abel, uh, when we look at why his offering was accepted as opposed to Cain's, uh, it's kind of interesting because it might not be exactly what was offered rather than it was about the how it was offered. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament teachings, and you look at this teaching as well, um, grain offerings and meat offerings were both accepted by God. Um, it's not like God just hated grains and didn't and liked meat that much more. Um, and at this point, they haven't been actually given precise instructions about what they should offer. Um, and so when Cain and Abel bring their offerings, um, Abel's was accepted and Cain's wasn't um, because And that reason was probably because Abel actually brought his gift by faith. Um, he was seeking to actually please God as much as he could and to uh, actually find favor with God and maybe even uh, ask for forgiveness of his sins. Whereas Abel, or Cain's might have been more of an obligation uh, just to bring something that he had. Well, I grow this, so here you go, God. Here's what I brought you. Okay, It might not have been the, the best thing that he could have brought. It wasn't. Um, out of a, a heart that had faith that what he was bringing would actually forgive him or that uh, it would please God. It was just an offering that he brought, uh, more of a religious, um, more of a, a religious duty than a, a seeking God. So it doesn't say that Cain or Abel knew what, what the offering lo- the Lord wanted or would accept, but uh, he does say, the author does say that Abel's was accepted because it was by faith. So by his faith, he was counted as righteous. Um, his offering didn't him make him righteous before God. It, wasn't, uh, it even wasn't what he was offering so much. Uh, it was that he brought it in faith, and he knew that the Lord would accept his offering because he truly wanted to uh, find acceptance with the Lord and be right in the Lord's eyes. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Psalm 51.17. So this is a Psalm of David when David is crying out to the Lord uh, after he's sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, he says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, repentant heart of God. Uh, one of the things that the Lord wants from us is not so much our, our things or our religious duties. What he wants is, to, is for us to be truly seeking him. Uh, he wants our hearts more than he wants anything else. Uh, he wants us to be obedient, uh, but he doesn't want that in a, uh, an obligatory fashion. He wants us to truly be seeking him out. 
and that's part of what Enoch does. Uh, so with Enoch, let me flip back here. Uh, you can keep a, a little finger on Genesis 5 there. Um, but with Enoch, he is very similar in that uh, his heart was just to truly seek God and to obey him. So it says that uh, Enoch, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was committed as one who pleased God. So with Enoch, it says in Genesis 5.18, that when Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years and other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. So it wasn't because Enoch had anything special about him. It doesn't say that he offered something special to God. It doesn't say that um, he was um, a great warrior or um, was anything um, above anybody else. The only thing that we know about Enoch is that it says that he walked faithfully with God. So that he was actually seeking out God and seeking to find favor and uh, find pleasure with God. And so part of our faith is that uh, when we walk faithfully with God, uh, that's just truly finding him, truly trying to seek him out. Uh, you know, we talked about having a sincere heart and being able to come to the throne of God. And that's what he wants from us. We, he wants us to have sincere hearts that are truly seeking him out. And part of that is um, when we have that sincere heart that truly seeks him out, uh, our faith grows because of that. Because as we seek him, that faith gets tested, that faith gets, um, uh, that faith becomes more and more strong. And so when we have that faith, we can, uh, it's kind of a give and take. As we have more faith, we're able to see God more. And as we see God more, we begin to have more faith as well. So in verse 6, he talks about, uh, let's see where we go. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, without that faith, without that faith in God, we aren't going to be able to please him as we want to. Uh, we have to actually believe that he exists and believe that he's going to reward those who actually earnestly seek him. Uh, so sometimes we can be rewarded by some physical gift the Lord gives. So if we're praying for uh, maybe some kind of financial help, um, maybe our cars break down and we need new cars, maybe our air conditioners break down and we need to have them fixed, uh, sometimes the Lord will bless us with those physical gifts that we need. Uh, I'm sure almost all of us can have some kind of testimony about how the Lord has provided some kind of uh, physical thing that we needed in a moment of crisis and that he was faithful to actually provide us with those. And that comes by faith. Uh, and other times where we are rewarded with things that we can't see or touch. So sometimes he rewards us with love or with joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness and self-control. Um, those fruits are things that we might not actually be able to physically touch and see Okay, these are those things unseen that we talked about. Uh, but those are things that the Lord provides for us uh, because of our faith. And so if we are actually seeking him out, if we are earnestly seeking him, 
uh, and believing that he exists and that he rewards us, um, without that faith, we aren't going to be able to do those things. Okay, so in verse 7, we're talking about Noah. So Noah is interesting. Uh, Noah was one of the people who actually saw what God promised come to fruition. So Genesis 6, we talk about Noah a little bit. Uh, so Genesis 6, 5 is where that starts. Uh, so it says that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and within the, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I made, for I regret that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So this is the account of Noah and his family. So Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Okay, so as you go through the story of Noah, I'm sure most of us know the story of Noah. Uh, Noah was told that there would be a great flood that would wipe out the entire population uh, and actually pretty much destroy the world. And for Noah to be told this, um, this was something that had never been done before. This was something new. Okay, uh, nobody had really seen a flood, maybe to this extent, or maybe at all. Um, at this point, um, I can't remember if this was a point where maybe there had not been actual rain falling to the ground before. Um, but at this point, this is something new that God had never done before, or uh, that people had never seen. And so for him to have faith that God would actually um, make this happen, um, that took a lot of faith. Because if he had just not listened, um, he might have not seen that for a long time and thought that um, not listening to God was maybe a better thing to do. But, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly how long it took for the flood to come or how long that he had to build the ark. Um, but for him to have faith in that, uh, that was a big deal. Uh, because for him and his family, because he had faith, uh, he was able to prepare the ark and he was able to save them through that. So he could have dismissed God or asked for uh, or actually asked for assurance that what God said was going to happen would actually happen. Um, so because a flood like this hadn't happened, you know, you might say, so I don't even know what you're talking about, so maybe you could show me a little bit about what's going on here. Uh, but he doesn't ask for that. He was just obedient and trusted that God would do what he said that he would do. Uh, and so he prepared an ark for his family to live, and by his faith that... Uh, he trusted in God that he was counted as righteous before God. So nothing that, it wasn't because of him actually building the ark. It wasn't because of him um, being blameless in God's sight. It was because of his faith that he was counted as righteous. If we go to verse 8, we'll start looking at Abraham. It says that Abraham, uh, by faith Abraham, would call to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. All right, so Abraham, he listened to God. He moved to a land that he didn't know and was promised descendants who would later inherit the land he was a foreigner in. Uh, I didn't realize this until later, which I had kind of remembered a little bit, but uh, he was 75 years old when the Lord called him out of Ur to go to the promised land. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm 75, I'm not going nowhere from where I've been living for a long time uh, unless the Lord called me to go there. Uh, so for him to be 75 years old and start to go out to a place where he didn't even know where he was going, the Lord just called him to start traveling uh, and took him to that uh, to Canaan. Uh, he was still faithful to what God, God called him to do and took his family with him. So that's a, a big deal to... Uh, go by faith to a place that you may have never been. And sometimes God calls us to do things like that. Uh, he calls us to go to places that are unfamiliar to us or might be scary to us. Um, but when we have faith, we know that God is going to take us to a better place uh, with better promises, with a better life ahead of us. The interesting thing about Abraham, though, is that although... Uh, Noah saw the completion of the promises. He saw the flood happen. Uh, Noah and Sarah only had uh, partial uh, experiences in that promise coming to fruition. Uh, Abraham and his sons lived, a nomad, lived as nomads in a land that they were promised for their descendants. So they would never actually see and get to um, completely live in the promised land. They kind of lived day by day in a tent, uh, ready to move if the Lord asked them to, whereas their descendants would uh, conquer the land, they would own the land, they would have the land for themselves and possess that land. Uh, they never really had true possession of that promised land, uh, and only their descendants were going to be given it. And so they were promised this, and they had faith that, okay, God, I, I'm not going to be here to see this, but I know that if I'm faithful to you that uh, these things are going to happen. And sometimes we're giving those things. Um, you know, We are planting seeds that we might not see in our lifetimes. Uh, we are... Uh, actually living by faith, and that faith is carried on throughout the generations. You know, even if we go back to Abel, uh, all Abel did was bring a, a sacrifice to God that was pleasing, and it says that his blood still s speaks to us today, um, that his sacrifice was pleasing to God, and his faith was pleasing. And if we look at Sarah, uh, it says that, in my faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he as good as dead, came to sentence as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. The thing about Sarah is that uh, when Sarah was given her promise that she would have children, she laughed at it. Uh, she thought that there was no way that she was going to be able to have children at the age that she was at. And Abraham didn't as well. Uh, but eventually, even though her obedience may have not been immediate or her faith might have not been immediate, as she tested and trusted in the Lord, uh, she learned that, uh, that she could trust in him. And she and Abraham both knew that one day that they would be promised uh, Isaac. And, you know, kind of, a, kind of a point and laugh kind of thing. When she laughed at God, uh, she actually named Isaac his name because of that laughter. Uh, just to remind herself and those around him that um, at first she, she laughed at God's promises, but seeing that fulfillment, now she can laugh that, uh, that God is so good to her. So they, uh, her and Abraham didn't completely see the promises. Okay, They were promised that um, through their line that they, would, uh, that they would see the Messiah, but they never saw the completion of that promise. Okay, Not until... Uh, thousands of years later would they see that promise come to fruition. But they did see partial of those, um, of those promises. So actually all these people, uh, e Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, 
Uh, they all lived walking by faith in God. None of them actually truly saw the fulfillment of the promises they were given completely, uh, but they still looked forward to knowing that God would, uh, that God himself would be faithful to them. So how much more than should we be, con- be confident in what we hope for? Because we've actually uh, been able to see that the Messiah has come. We actually have confidence and we know that Christ has come and has forgiven us. And so we should have that much more confidence because we've actually seen uh, part of that completion of the promise in our day. So all these people died uh, not knowing Christ and not knowing uh, exactly what would happen, but we know the end of the story already. We know that Christ has died and risen and he has defeated death because of that. But these people died only having faith that one day that they would be able to see the end of those things happen. Uh, if we look at verses 14 and 16, 14 through 16, uh, it says that people who say such things, sorry, let's go back just a little bit. Uh, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he is prepared to save for them. Okay, all these people lived differently than the world around them. Okay, uh, kind of like what we said earlier, they were foreigners in a land that did not know them, and they did not know either. Um, they were foreigners not only of the land they lived in, but also foreigners of, foreigners of earth because they knew that heaven was their true home that they would one day see. So they were not ashamed to claim God as their God and show that they truly trusted in him. Okay, so what is really the point of all this? So what does the faith of some old people that have been dead for a long time have to do with us? Okay, this was to give us confidence and assurance as we go through our lives. Uh, all God truly wants for us is to believe in him and to truly want to please him. He wants us to come to him with sincere hearts, just as Abel and Enoch did. Uh, he wants to... He wants us to have faith that he exists and cares for us and is working for our good and that someday we'll see the promises he has given just as Noah saw the promise of the flood happen in his day. And even if we don't see Jesus come back in our day, we can live by faith just as Abraham and Sarah and the Israelites did, expecting that one day that we're going to be with him and that we will see the completion of, uh, of all things. That just as he says in Revelations, that one day he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to come back. He's going to... Uh, bring the new Jerusalem and the, the new city where God dwells with his people. Uh, they, so Abraham and Sarah, they lived by faith that God would care for them, and they also lived trusting in his promises. So they saw some of the promises, but not all of them, yet they died knowing that greater things were waiting for them on the other side of life in eternity. So even if we may not see those promises, we can take heart knowing that uh, we are cared for and that God cares for us, and that one day we're going to be with him. So God doesn't need us to have the most faith. Um, God's never called us to have the most abundant faith. He's just called us to have the smallest of faith, just the faith of a mustard seed. And when we have that just small little faith, the littlest of faith, um, what we can do is that we can start to watch it grow as we trust in God and know that he is going to take care of us and love us. So I hope that we can find encouragement by uh, a couple of these examples. And we'll look at the rest of the examples next week, uh, and we'll finish up Hebrews 11. Um, But as you go out, uh, remember the promises of God. Okay, if you need to go back and look at some of the promises that um, God has given, or even as Christ has given us, 
um, do that. Um, find confidence and assurance in that, knowing that whatever you're going through, whatever it might be, um, that we're going to see better days. Maybe not now, maybe not for a while, um, but someday all these things are going to come to pass, and we can have faith in that. Who carries the power to if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Married Now What podcast is a ministry of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's meant to be a resource for in-depth Bible study for couples striving to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.